Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This will be Helaman chapter 6. So remember that Lehi and Nephi had been in prison. They'd been uh, rescued by a pillar of fire, and now the bunch of the Lamanites and Nephites that were in the prison at the time, about 300 of them, also were encircled about by fire, and now they've been converted and have been doing missionary work among them, among their fellow Lamanites and Nephites. So, chapter 6, verse 1, And it came to pass that when, they, when the sixty and second year of the reign of the judges had ended, so that's 29 B.C., all these things had happened, and the Lamanites had become, the more part of them, a righteous people. Samuel the Lamanite is going to come from these people, insomuch that their righteousness did exceed that of the Nephites because of their firmness and their steadiness in the faith. I think it was uh, one of the brethren also said that once a Lamanite gets converted, they stay that way. For behold, there were many of the Nephites who had become hardened and impenitent and grossly wicked, insomuch that they did reject the word of God and all the preaching and prophesying which did come among them. Nevertheless, the people of the church did have great joy because of the conversion of the Lamanites, yea, because of the church of God, which had been established among them. And they did fellowship one with another, and did rejoice one with another, and did have great joy. And it came to pass that many of the Lamanites did go down into the land of Zarahemla, and did declare unto the people of the Nephites the manner of their conversion, and did exhort them to faith and repentance. John Taylor had been converted to the gospel and baptized in Canada in May of 1836 through the inspired preaching of Elder Parley P. Pratt. B.H. Roberts writes of a difficult time in the history of the church. In March of the following year, 1837, Elder Taylor visited Kirtland and there met the prophet Joseph Smith, who entertained him at his house and gave him many items of information pertaining to the work of the Lord in this dispensation. At that time, there was a bitter spirit of apostasy rife in Kirtland. A number of the Quorum of the Twelve were disaffected towards the prophet, and the church seemed on the point of disintegration. Among others, Parley P. Pratt was floundering in darkness and coming to Elder Taylor, told him of some things wherein he considered the, the, the prophet Joseph in error. To his remarks, Elder Taylor replied, I am surprised to hear you speak so, Brother Parley. Before you left Canada, you bore a strong testimony to Joseph Smith being a prophet of God and to the truth of the work he was that he has inaugurated. And you said you knew these things by revelation and the gift of the Holy Ghost. You gave to me a strict charge to the effect that through that though you or an angel from heaven was to declare anything else, I was not to believe it. Now, Brother Parley, it is not man that I am following, but the Lord. The principles you taught me led me to him, and I now have the same testimony that you then rejoiced in. If the work was true six months ago, it is true today. If Joseph Smith was then a prophet, he is now a prophet. To the honor of Parley, be it said, he sought no further to lead Elder Taylor astray, nor did he use much argument in the first place. He, with many others, says Elder Taylor, were passing under a dark cloud. He soon made all right with the prophet Joseph and was restored to full fellowship. Verse 5. Yea, and many did preach with exceedingly great power and authority unto the bringing down many of them into the depths of humility to be the humble followers of God and the Lamb. And it came to pass that many of the Lamanites did go into the land northward, and also Nephi and Lehi went into the land northward to preach unto the people, and thus ended the sixty and third year. And behold, there was peace in all the land, insomuch that the Nephites did go into whatsoever part of the land they would, whether among the Nephites or the Lamanites. 
And it came to pass that the Lamanites did also go whithersoever they would, whether it were among the Lamanites or among the Nephites, and thus they did have free intercourse one with another, to buy and to sell and to get gain, according to their desire. President Kimball said, Peace is the fruit of righteousness. It cannot be bought with money and cannot be traded nor bartered. It must be earned. The wealthy often spend much of their gains in a bid for peace, only to find that it is not for sale. But the poorest, as well as the richest, may have it in abundance, if the total price is paid. Those who abide the laws and live the Christ-like life may have peace and other kindred blessings, principle among which are exaltation and eternal life. Verse 9, And it came to pass that they became exceedingly rich, both the Lamanites and the Nephites, and they did have an exceeding plenty of gold and of silver, and all, all manner of precious metals, both in the land south and in the land north. Now the land south was called Lehi, and the land north was called Mulek, which was after the son of Zedekiah. For the Lord did bring Mulek into the north land, and Lehi into the land south. And behold, there was all manner of gold in both these lands, and of silver and of precious ore of every kind, and there were no and there were also curious workmen, who did work all kinds of ore and did refine it, and thus they did become rich. They did raise grain in abundance, both in the north and in the south, and they did flourish exceedingly, both in the north and in the south, and they did multiply and wax exceedingly strong in the land, and they did raise many flocks and herds, yea, many fatlings. Behold, their women did toil and spin, and did make all manner of cloth, of fine, of fine twined linen, and, clothe, and cloth of every kind, to clothe their nakedness, and thus the sixty and fourth year did pass away in peace. And in the sixty and fifth year, and this is 27 B.C., they did also have great joy and peace, yea, much preaching and many prophecies concerning that which is to come. And thus passed away the sixty and fifth year, and it came to pass that in the sixty and sixth year of the reign of the judges, behold, Caesarum was murdered by an unknown hand. This is an assassination by one of the Gadiant robbers, no doubt, as he sat upon the judgment seat. And it came to pass that in the same year that his son, who had been appointed by the people in his stead, was also murdered. So that's a job you don't want. And thus ended the sixty and sixth year. And in the commencement of the sixty and seventh year, so this is now 25 BC, the people began to grow exceedingly wicked again. Doesn't take long for them to turn, does it? That's a lesson to be learned. We've got to keep, be vigilant in keeping the commandments. Remember, like President Kimball said, remember our covenants. Verse 17, For behold, the Lord has had blessed them so long with the riches of the world that they had not been stirred up to anger, to wars, nor to bloodshed. Therefore, they began to set their hearts upon their riches. Hugh Nibley said, The sequence is a natural one. With easy wealth comes the feeling of superiority, which makes people status conscious. And with a feeling of status comes a desperate need to acquire the one thing that will give status. And with the recognition of the all-importance of that one thing, any scruples that may stand in the way of its acquisition are pushed aside, even murder being permissible as long as one is not found out. Elder McConkie said, One of the great purposes of this mortal probation is to allow men to choose between the riches of the world and the riches of eternity. Those who set their hearts on the things of this world lose their souls. Woe unto the rich who are rich as to the things of the world, for because they are rich, they despise the poor, and they persecute the meek, and their hearts are upon their treasures. Wherefore, their treasure is their God, and behold, their treasure shall perish with them also. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Those who set their hearts on the things of the Spirit inherit eternal riches, which consist of eternal life. 
Elder Dallin Oaks said, The message of the modern prophets is the same as the ancient ones. If we set our hearts upon riches, we have set a worldly God ahead of the eternal God of Israel. President Brigham Young feared that the Latter-day Saints would succumb to materialism. Less than two years after their arrival in the Valley of the Great Salt Lake, he spoke these words to the people. The worst fear that I have about this people is that they will get rich in this country, forget God and his people, wax fat, and kick themselves out of the church and go to hell. This people will stand mobbing, robbing, poverty, and all manner of persecution and be true. But my greater fear for them is that they cannot stand wealth, and yet they have to be, the, they have to be tried with riches, for they will become the richest people on the earth. Yea, they began to seek to get gain that they might be lifted up one above another. Therefore, they began to commit secret murders and to rob and to plunder that they might get gain. There is a book that created uh, an immense sensation in Europe a couple years ago and still does. It's called Holy, Bro Holy Blood, Holy Grail by um, Bagent, Lee, and Lincoln. They were correspondents for the BBC. They got the idea that there came from Palestine in the time of Christ certain relatives of the family of Christ who settled near Marseille, France, and spread out. There was an order descended from them. The Holy Grail is the Sang Real, the royal blood, which came down from Christ's family and which is claimed by every family in Europe. All sorts of intrigues and murders and everything center around that. It is an interesting thing. There were the chivalric orders such as the Rosicrucians. Each one has been accused of world ambition and been persecuted. The cleverest of all were the Jesuits. They really were after it. That is why the Spanish Inquisition was to go everywhere. That was their object. They established the office of the Sangreal for propagating the faith. Our word propaganda comes from them. They became expert liars, very clever. In our day, we've had such things as the anti-Mason party in this country. That was a big thing. It all centered right around the time and place where Joseph Smith produced the Book of Mormon. That's an interesting thing. In 1797, a French Jesuit by the name of Auguste Baruel wrote a book, five volumes of it, which became enormously popular. He supposedly proved that the Freemasons were trying to take over the world. They caused the French Revolution. They caused revolutions everywhere, according to him, as the ultimate conspiracy against royalty in the, all the world. The identical charges brought against communism after that. He accused George Washington of being one of the Illuminati, the Weisskopf organization, a branch of that called the Illuminati. In 1776, the Illuminati was organized in Europe. George Washington was a Mason. There was a great excitement about that. Again, talking about uh, trying to get gain through murder and so on. There's lots of these secret combinations, secret organizations that are throughout the world even today. Verse 18, And now behold, those murderers and plunderers were a band who had been formed by Kishkumen and Gadianton. And now it had come to pass that there were many, even among the Nephites, of Gadianton's band. But behold, there were more, they were more numerous among the more wicked part of the Lamanites, and they were called Gadianton's robbers and murderers. Hugh Nibley said, let us summarize the essential nature of what some have called Gadiantonism. The objectives, one, power and gain, the two being interactive, power wins gain and gain wins power for whoever has either. Two, control or overthrow of the government using political office to rule and do according to their wills that they might get gain and glory. Uh, the methods, one, secret agreements between individuals and groups. The Gadiantons are essentially an underground movement. Two, assassination. These two things, secret combinations and that men should shed blood, have been forbidden by God in all things from the beginning of man. Three, Paola, Achish did offer them money, letting the guilty go unpunished because of their money. Four, skillful propaganda and public relations, flattering words. Five, the hate campaign, a steady out. Uh, steady output of charges, accusations, and rumors in the manner of uh, Amalekiah. 
accuse, always accuse. Eagerness to accuse is from the devil, as Brigham Young often taught. Six, intimidation, breathing out many threatenings, operating by the hand of secrecy, wearing fearsome, wearing fearsome disguises. Seven, showmanship, that is, the picturesque uniforms and romantic appeal to the young. Eight, tight control of members, death penalty for betrayal. And then the attitude. One, the Gadiantans were totally partisan, the laws of the laws and interests of the combination taking priority over all other laws and interests. Two, all were ambitious, hence the labor for power and gain. Cain is the type and model. Three, combinations were highly competitive, feuding fiercely among themselves. Four, they sought to protect a noble image with much talk of rights and wrongs, high courage and upright character, the letter of Laconius. Five, they professed piety and religion, swearing their forbidden oaths not, to, not by the demons but by the God of heaven by their everlasting maker. Six, they were paranoid, always attributing their troubles to the wickedness of others, never the aggressors. They, all, they are constantly seeking to avenge their wrongs. Vengeance is their watchword. Ecology. One, they flourish best in an affluent business society in, 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 in whatever times of poverty. Two, they crystallize around ambitious individuals. Three, they readily coalesce with kingmen, would-be nobility, great families, ambitious local officials, and rapacious Lamanite overlords, that is, with all who are opposed to popular government among the Nephites. Four, they have destroyed every civilization in the New World in which they have been able to, to thrive. Five, they cannot thrive or even survive without the acceptance and encouragement of the society in general. Being predatory and non-productive, in other words, parasites, they must have a complacent society to host and support them. Such a society is one which accepts as desirable the Gadiantan goals of power and gain. Six, they can become dormant for long periods of time and then, when circumstances are favorable, suddenly appear in, in full strength and vigor, their plans having been buried and preserved intact against the day of opportunity. The Gadiantans, terrible as they were, are treated more as a symptom than a disease. The society that has them is sick, but they are like maggots. They prey only on dead tissue. They simply exploit the evil situation that gives them their opportunity. Again, that was by Hugh Nibley. Verse 19, and it was they, and it was they who did murder the chief judge Caesarum and his son while in the judgment seat, and behold, they were not found. And now it came to pass that when the Lamanites found that there were, there were robbers among them, they were exceedingly sorrowful, and they did use every means in their power to destroy them off the face of the earth. But behold, Satan did stir up the hearts of the more part of the Nephites, insomuch that they did unite with those bands of robbers, and did enter into their covenants and their oaths, that they would protect and preserve one another in whatsoever difficult circumstances they should be placed, that they should not suffer for their murders and their plunderings and their stealings. And it came to pass that they did have their signs, yea, their secret signs and their secret words, and this that they might distinguish a brother who had entered into the covenant, that, whoso, that whatsoever wickedness his brother should do, he should not be injured by his brother, nor by those who did belong to his band who had taken this covenant. James E. Talmadge said, Satan from the first has been a great imitator. He is an experienced strategist. Never has the Lord set his hand to do a, speci a specific thing for the good of his people upon the earth of outstanding feature, but that Satan has attempted to imitate it in some degree. Verse 23, And thus they might murder and plunder and steal and commit whoredoms and all manner of wickedness, contrary to the laws of their country and also the laws of their God. And whosoever of those who belong to their band should reveal unto the Lord of their wickedness and their abominations should be tried, not according to the laws of their country, but according to the laws of their wickedness, which had been given by Gadian and Kishkumen. 
Now behold, it is, there, it is these secret oaths and covenants which Alma commanded his son should not go forth unto the world, lest they should be a means of bringing down the people unto destruction. Now behold, those secret oaths and covenants did not come forth unto Gadianton from the records which were delivered unto Helaman. But behold, they were put into the heart of Gadianton by that same being who did entice our first parents to partake of the forbidden fruit. Yea, that same being who did plot with Cain. The story of the origin and rise of secret combinations on earth was once contained in the record of the Old Testament times. Such plain and precious truths concerning the nature of the gospel anciently, the particulars of the plan of salvation, and the then future ministry of Jesus Christ as prophesied among the ancients, and the manner in which Cain plotted with Satan to become master Mahan, master of the great secret that he could murder and get gain. These matters were deleted from the Bible records before that book was compiled. They were known among the Nephites through that scriptural record we now we know as the brass plates. These truths were restored by revelation to Joseph Smith the seer through his inspired translation of the Bible. And that was by Millet McConkie. Continuing verse 27, that if he would murder his brother Abel, it should not be known unto the world that he and he and he did plot with Cain and his followers from that time forth. And also it is that same being who put it into the hearts of the people to build a tower sufficiently high that they might get to heaven. And it was that same being who led on the people who came from that tower into this land, who spread the works of darkness and abominations over all the face of the land until he dragged the people down to an entire destruction and to an everlasting hell. Yea, it is that same being who put it into the heart of Gadianton to still carry on the work of darkness and of secret murder, and he has brought it forth from the beginning of man even down to this time. And, and, and behold, it is he who was who is the author of all sin. And behold, he doth carry on his works of darkness and secret murder, and doth hand down their plots and their oaths and their covenants and their plans of awful wickedness from generation to generation according as he can get hold upon the hearts of the children of men. And now behold, he had got great hold upon the hearts of the Nephites, yea, insomuch that they had become exceedingly wicked. Yea, the more part of them had turned out of the way of righteousness, and did trample under their feet the commandments of God, and did turn unto their own ways, and did build up unto themselves idols of their gold and their silver. And it came to pass that these that all these iniquities did come upon them in the space of not many years, insomuch that a more part of it had come unto them in the sixty and seventh year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. And thus they did grow in their iniquities in the sixty and eighth year, also to the great sorrow and lamentation of the righteous. And thus we see that the Nephites did begin to dwindle in unbelief and grow in wickedness and abominations, while the Lamanites began to grow exceedingly in the knowledge of their God. Yea, they did begin to keep the, his statutes and commandments and to walk in truth and uprightness before him. And thus we see that the Spirit of the Lord began to withdraw from the Nephites because of the wickedness and the hardness of their hearts. And this, and thus we see that the Lord began to pour out his Spirit upon the Lamanites because of their easiness and willingness to believe in his words. President Kimball said, The converted Lamanite is devout. Few ever apostatize. Some lose their way as they partake of the worldliness about them. But generally, the children of Lehi of the 20th century have inherited that grace and ability to believe like their ancestors of long ago. Verse 37, And it came to pass that the Lamanites did hunt the band of robbers of Gadianton, and they did preach the word of God among the more wicked part of them, insomuch that this band of robbers was utterly destroyed from among the Lamanites. And it came to pass, on the other hand, that the Nephites did build them up and support them. Bruce R. McConkie said, Our Book of Mormon authors speak a great deal about the secret combinations that arose among the Jaredites and among the Nephites, and that they were destined to rise among the Gentile nations in the last days. They tell us that these secret combinations brought to pass the destruction of the Jaredites and the Nephites, and will bring similar destruction on any Latter-day nations that permit them to gain an ascendancy.
Writing of nations in the last days, Moroni says, Whatsoever nation shall uphold such secret combinations to get power and gain until they shall spread over the nation, behold, they shall be destroyed. For the Lord will not suffer that the blood of his saints, which shall be shed by them, shall always cry unto him from the ground for vengeance upon them, and yet he avenged them not. What are these secret combinations which have such powers that that whole civilizations are destroyed by them. They wear many guises and appear in many forms. They were the Gadianton robbers among the Nephites and the perpetrators of the Spanish Inquisition in the Dark Ages. Among us, they include some secret and oath-bound societies and such mafia-like groups as engage in organized crime. They include some political parties, some revolutionists who rise up against their governments and those evil and anarchist groups which steal and kidnap and murder in the name of this or that political objective. There are always groups that seek money and power and freedom from the penalties that should attend their crimes. Our government is also not immune from secret combinations. The judges and the, and the people that we have in government today are involved in, in trying to establish a worldwide government, and they're involved in secret combinations to occur to make that occur. Continuing verse 38, beginning at the more wicked part of them until they had overspread all the land of the Nephites and had seduced the more part of the righteous until they had come down to believe in their works and partake of their spoils and to join with them in their secret murders and combinations. And thus they did obtain the sole management of the government. Hugh Nibley says, if the reader has imagined to himself the Gadianton band as abandoned wretches or street Arabs lurking in dark alleys and fleeing from the light of day in dingy and noisome hideouts, let him disabuse his mind of such a concept. They were a highly respected concern that made their handsome profits by operating strictly within the letter of the law as they interpreted and controlled it. They were the government, the well-to-do, the respectable, and the law-abiding citizens. So this is the situation they were in, office to get gain and the glory of the world, and they did everything with an eye single to their glory. They were politically, socially, and economically ambitious. They were opposed by the common people organized by Moroni, who made them conscious of themselves as the poor and humble afflicted outcasts of Israel, always calling upon the Lord. Here we have the two, the two totally different, clearly defined ideologies. The one prevails throughout the world today and throughout ancient, medieval, and modern history. Back to 39, insomuch that they did trample under their feet and smite and rend and turn their backs upon the poor and the meek and the humble followers of God. It seems to be a fact of human nature that those engaged in pursuing the good life also spend much energy, time and money seeking association with the wealthy, powerful and famous. They live where there are no poor, socialize in private clubs where there are no, where there are no poor, travel first class, and otherwise isolate themselves from regular exposure to the needy except for occasional giving on the street or to the seasonal charities. Such benign neglect can often be as devastating as a deliberate reviling of the poor. This is in contrast to him whom we claim to follow, who deliberately lived with and for the most part regularly sought out the poor and the needy. And that was by Quinn McKay in a... In a Ensign article in June of 1987. Verse 40, And thus we see that they were in an awful state and ripening for an everlasting destruction. And it came to pass that thus ended the sixty and eighth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. I bear testimony that these things are true, that uh, these things uh, are written for us, that we can get a better understanding of what's going to happen in the last days because of reading uh, the book of Helaman especially, especially as we get up to the close, uh, close to the time of the Savior's coming that this will be a type for us. And I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.